drink that building full of fright. I grant that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you. There were many there I knew. This week we begin the dispatches with a conversation with Sandow Burke, the artist and prima mobile behind an excellent modern English adaptation of The Inferno, and the visual artist who inspired and illustrated the 2007 paper puppet theater of Inferno. It was really exciting to be able to speak with him. Just a note, we spoke over Zoom, and the conversation is a bit choppy from time to time as he worked and edited around some iffy reception. Very glad to have had Sandow here. Well, um, thanks for getting in touch with me. Yeah, no, I'm uh, excited. We've been using your translation pretty heavily to kind of get through the hardest parts of the Inferno, because uh, some of the Canto 16 stuff has been rigorous, to say the least. And okay. for some of us, this is our first read-through. Okay. And I had a chance to sit down and watch the movie the other night, and it was a lot of fun. The musical number in the middle was a hoot. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I actually saw it maybe a week or two ago for the first time in eight years or something. And uh, I was surprised at how funny it still is. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it works. It's, it's pretty solid. Joining us today is Sandow Burke, who is a visual artist from Los Angeles. A lot of his work deals with uh, American contemporary culture and cultural challenges. And this is sort of the flavor he brought to Dante's Inferno in 2005 and 2007. We're very glad to be able to talk with you today. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So I guess getting straight to the, uh, we're getting straight to the Inferno. What brought you to tackling that work? Oh, it's a long story how the whole project came, but uh, in one sentence, uh, I came to it by accident. (laughs) I never studied uh, Dante in school, and I was at a used bookstore here in LA, and I stumbled on an old, um, big bound, 100-year-old volume of the Divine Comedy with all the prints by Gustave Dore. And I bought it just because I liked the picture so much. And it was a tattered old book that cost me, I think, 10 or 15 bucks. And I bought it and I brought it home. And I just had it sort of sitting around for probably a year. And I would Mm -hmm. like flip through the pictures and look at it again. And then I'd start reading little parts of it and then read more and more and just sort of got sucked in. So that's how I stumbled on Dante. So at some point in time, after you got this big heavy bound volume, you crossed paths with Marcus Sanders, who worked with you on the translation of this? Yeah, uh, to tell the whole story. So so I'm an artist and basically a painter is what I call myself. And I work with galleries in different cities. And I usually have like a big show once a year. I work all year getting enough paintings together to have a show and then have a show and hopefully make enough money to keep going. So I I got interested in this book and I was scheduled to have a a show at the Capo del Rio gallery in Los Angeles, like in in a year. And they said, well, ask me what the show is going to be. And I said, well, I'm kind of pondering this Dante thing. What if I did a bunch of paintings based on Dante's Inferno? And they said, oh, that's a great idea. 
And then just coincidentally, at the same time, I got contacted by a publishing, a printing house in San Francisco called Trillium Press. And what mm-hmm. they do is they bring in artists from outside and they do a print project with them and then you know, try to make money selling the prints. And so they contacted me and said, what well, I would like to do a project with them. And I said, yeah, I kind of had this idea of this Inferno series. And then they said, well, why don't we do a series of prints that you, you do the drawings and we'll do these prints of, of Inferno. And then we kept talking about it and they said, yeah, we could do like a box set of these prints. But then we all just sort of started to realize it would be really silly to have a whole bunch of pictures of Inferno without the text of the poem. So then we started thinking, well, now we need the text. Now it's going to become a book. Who can do the text? And then the first obvious thing was we should use an English translation by someone that, that's already exists that we like. So then we ended up contacting a lawyer and I was meeting with this lawyer who was trying to contact publishers so we could get permission to use a copyrighted translation already. That'd be a lot of text. And yeah. She was having, so she was having trouble dealing with it. And when I was in this meeting with her, she just sort of rolled her eyes and said, you know, this is so difficult getting this permission. It would be so easy if you just did it yourself. And it was kind of hey, a can joke. Can we just put easy in quotes there? It sounds really kind of Herculean. <laughs> well, she wasn't a writer. <laughs> she was thinking it from the legal aspect, I guess. Yeah. Marcus Sanders is a longtime friend of mine. We do a lot of surfing together. He's in San Francisco and I'm in LA and we traveled a lot to different places to go surfing. We've been on surf trips and he is basically a journalist and he went to school for journalism and he was passing through LA that day or the next day after that meeting with the lawyer. And he said, well, hey, we were sitting in a bar and he said, what are you working on? And I said, I'm supposed to do this Dante project, but this lawyer says I should rewrite it. And, and he says, I can help you. I studied it in college. This would be great. Let's do it. Oh, and con- so, convenient. <laughs> so that's the long story of how it all began. Does the kind of urban modern tone carry through all three books? I confess I haven't opened up book two and book three yet. I've been mostly concentrating on hell. Yes, it does. And it's quite the art. I mean, I see the whole project of the three books as, as, you know, as Dante did, as one complete poem. And the images that I've done that go with it, sort of, just like Dante, you do the sin and you get the opposite punishment mm-hmm. that's relevant well, to it. Yeah. Like my pictures are posing the, the poem in a way. So sort where Dante is describing this journey to hell and to heaven, my pictures show that Dante and Virgil never actually go anywhere. They're just wandering around the dirty streets of American cities. Oh, oh, oh. So this is a little more of an allegory than perhaps the original was. Well, I never, I don't think of myself as an illustrator. Uh, so my intention was never to just read Dante's poem and depict what he's describing. I hmm. consider myself, you know, people have already done that. Doré's already done that better than I could. So I thought, well, you know, I'm not a religious person. I love the poem, but I didn't really agree with the idea that hell even exists or that heaven exists. Or, And if they did, uh, you know, Dante's whole sort of Catholic ideas of who gets to go and who can't go and stuff. So I thought I can, I can use this project to talk about uh, life in our times and also put in my own religious views on it, <laughs> which huh. are none. Interesting. And so the images sort of contradict the, the poem throughout the whole three books. And you see that while they're discussing these philosophical ideas of heaven and, and things, they're actually just walking around, you know, 7-Eleven parking lots and supermarkets and things. So I see the, the images as not illustrations. They're, I don't know, metaphors or I don't know, mm. allegories or something. 
since I first encountered your work through the movie, which is more straightforward revisioning. I mean, it's still very modern, but I didn't see that kind of that two-level element. This is more of a, a personal journey for the characters as much as a, or more so than a, a journey into hell. <laughs> that was yeah, a lot well, of blather on my part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think, you know, you should really have a look at, at, at our adaptation of Paradise as well, because um, you can see the scenes are set in the exact same places they are in hell. which makes the whole circular journey become evident more. So when you and Dermot tackled the 2007 film adaptation, were there any kind of highlights of that that really stuck out? Uh, It's a really nice puppet theater version of the story and very approachable. Yeah, yeah. Well, to go back to the writing, Marcus Sanders and I did the three adaptation of the three books, Inferno, Purgatory, and Paradise. And that took us about four years to finish those three books. And in the writing, we really tried to be faithful to Dante and just our idea was to make the text more, more approachable. One of the main things that annoyed me when I started reading Dante was that you'd have to read through the poem and then you'd have to stop and then go down to the footnotes and figure out who the Guelphs and the Ghibellines were and then go yeah. back and start the poem again and then go to the footnotes again. It was so hard to read the poem that we decided we wanted to make an English version that all the information in the footnotes was included in the text. So you could just read it straight through without having to stop and look things up. So we tried to make like this approachable American slang version of, of Dante's poem faithful to Dante also. So then when we finished that after four years and someone brought up the idea of making a film of it, then I felt like, well, now I'm really done with Dante with being respectful to Dante and the book, more political and more strays more from Dante and more, tells more political views that, that I want to talk about or something. And so that's why it became much funnier and, and more fun. Yeah. And some of the visions of like the politicians dressed up as animal mascots and such in the lower levels of hell, where you're dealing with more treachery and more, <laughs> sorry, I lost the word. It, it, it's very cutting in those degree acid. Yeah. And we made the movie when, uh, George Bush II was president, so a lot of the characters are from those times. It's hard to remember those times <laughs> at this point. I was just uh, well, the war in Iraq and weapons of mass destruction and Dick Cheney and all that, and uh, <laughs> Condoleezza Rice is in our Hell movie. They're all in there. <laughs> I, I just flipped through the Paradiso, and yeah, the images and things like that—they're—they feel less mythical, a lot more kind of urban and set in the real world. So I'll definitely be going through that soon. Paradise is my, my favorite part of the whole poem. So huh. it's worth reading. A lot of people don't try and teach it. So that's, that's a neat perspective. Uh, yeah. You know, everyone reads Inferno because they like the fire and the tortures and things, but the, the, the ideas carry through. And, and when they get to he- uh, paradise in heaven, I mean, there's some really great parts. One of my favorite parts is when Dante meets uh, Adam, the first human being. Yeah, because that scene is so great because Dante sort of acts just as you would if you would were had the chance to meet Adam. Uh, you know, he says he's like, "Wow, it's so great to meet you." Uh, I, I've always wanted to, you know, ask you a couple of questions, and he asks them anyone would would want to ask, <laughs> and it makes it so charming. It makes Dante so relatable. And I think yeah. his questions. One question is, "What language did they speak in the Garden of Eden?" which is a really interesting question. 
Yes. How long did they get to live there before they got kicked out? I don't know, a couple other ones, but really, really sensible questions. It's neat to kind of imagine him as a, to imagine Dante as kind of a young and enthusiastic character for a few moments. He seems so heavy in his earlier book. <laughs> I always think of him as, as like an everyman. I mean, he, even as he goes down through hell, like he, he sees these things and asks questions about him. He never gets to the point where he's so um, that he stops asking questions. Hmm. So one of my one of my favorite scenes in the the movie adaptation it's in Canto sixteen ish seventeen ish where I think the lens of the film takes a step back and it's not big picture but the characters are starting to tour the city of Dis or the city of Los Angeles I don't know what the what the true city is in a in a car and it's a lot more intimate particularly interesting was kind of them adding or you adding a second guide to that that moment as they're kind of touring around with a, with a driver, with a chauffeur. What were some of the choices you made in this scene that kind of made it feel very different from the rest of the film and the, the book? Well, the hard thing about making a puppet movie is how do you make a puppet movie interesting for an hour and a half in a feature film? And Fair question. <laughs> so our big concern was to, how do we keep the, the film coming up with surprising things that keeps you interested visually. And I think the, they meet the woman who's the, she's the pimp. And that's from this previous scene where it's the, the woman is the pimp and the men are the prostitutes. So that's oh, their punishment has been reversed. And then they get in the car with her and they drive to the Capitol building. And then it starts uh, the whole musical number, which is sort of silly and fun. Oh, it had to be there. <laughs> visually we wanted to, you know, introduce something new and <laughs> yeah, because they remind me the uh, at the Capitol, they meet the, the traitors or the, no, the, the liars, I think, and hypocrites. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely something in that family of deeply dishonest people. That, that is a, 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 a really fun scene that and the, the chase and, scene through the, the airport. Flatters, are my... The ones <laughs> that are, yeah. And that and the, the chasing through the Capitol or through the airport are two of my favorite <laughs> moments. So what are some of your next big projects? Well, the big project I did following working five years on Dante was a 10-year-long project where I created uh, an illuminated, handmade, hand-transcribed, illuminated manuscript of the entire Quran in English. So that was my next big project. And that's out as a published book. You can get it on Amazon. It's called American Quran. Have you ever thought of adapting smaller books like Little Golden Books or Reader's Digests? (laughs) Uh, I wanted to, you know, following Dante and, and spending time in the whole Catholic view of the world, I wanted to look at the the idea of the afterlife from an imposing perspective. So, and that was, and then on top of that, the war in Iraq was going on and there's the yes. whole lot of disparaging of Muslims in America. And it all led me to wanting to learn more about Islam. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of that project. Uh, the writing I thought was pretty good and then all the imagery and then it became the three books and then we made the movie and uh, I ended up spending about five years pretty much immersed <laughs> in Dante every day. So it was a big project. I'm, I'm really, really pleased with it. So what is your, your next big thing that you're going to work on soon or are, are working on now? <laughs> well, I have a show of, of new paintings that I'm working on that will be in Los Angeles at Track 16 Gallery in April. 2022. So I'm working on that. Uh, I don't have a massive big project going on right now, but uh, it's a whole series of paintings uh, based about basically white terrorism, like Mm. uh, 
mass shootings and police brutality and things like that. So that's what I've been working on the last year or so. Uh, and we'll be able to find some of that on your website when... Sure. Yep. There's, a lot of the images are available on my website, sure. Okay. And my website is just my name, Sam Dalbert. Okay. For people that are wanting to go back in time a little bit and see the movie for themselves, where is that available? The movie, I believe you can see it now on Vimeo. I think you can rent it for, I think, four bucks the last time I saw it. If you, the way to find it is typing in Dante's Inferno 2007. Fair. Okay. That's the easiest way. Well, again, thank you so much for being with us and talking about the, the film. We've really enjoyed watching it, and it's made our Inferno journey much more approachable. So, uh, again, thank you for your time and for this project. Sure. Thanks for inviting me. I guess the movie did exactly what it's supposed to do. <laughs> we hoped that people would sort of stumble on Dante through our books and through our movie, and then if they were in, you know, intrigued, it, they would move on to more scholarly versions than ours. There aren't that many versions of Dante in film, so this may be one of the most faithful ones since 1911. <laughs> Thanks again, sir. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Welcome to Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about Dante and some other stuff. I'm Jacob. I'm Victoria. I'm Jamin. <laughs> so thoughtful. That's kind of a first. It's an, uh, it's I'm a sorry, what? <laughs> Welcome back! It's Tuesday, and do you know what that means? That it's Tuesday? I'm drawing in Jacob's book with a green crayon. Check oh, Twitter. Oh, that's right. I always forget that that's what Tuesday means. So, this week we are plunging merrily forward in the Inferno. We have gotten past Wrath, or we're in the middle of Wrath, and now we're into Fraud and Falsifiers. I'm not Ooh. sure. It's all kind of strangely ordered. But we're definitely in the home stretch, and that's exciting. Yes. So my we... favorite, my favorite of the Hippocrates. Hippocrates, the, the yeah. ones with the right triangles. <laughs> the hypotenuses. No, yeah, no, the uh, the shiny ones, the pretty ones. Oh. <laughs> yes, the the Hippocrates. Yes, Socrates, Mephistopheles, Hippocrates. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The Hippocrates. I've been <laughs> dipping into the Mediterranean diet this week. So I'm actually really excited by the Eagle of Polenta. Sounds delicious. Oh my gosh. Do you get a cheat day? No, I don't need one if there's an Eagle made of polenta. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you're right. The Eagle is the cheat day. Yeah, it's like this giant cream of wheat bird, I think. Grits? Grits. It's like grits. It's grits. Uh It's a gritty, gritty eagle. All eagles are gritty. It's true. But these are delicious because they're buttery and sometimes cheesy. Especially if you sprinkle some shrimp on it. Mm. I'm really excited by tonight's entertainment. Oh, yeah? This isn't entertaining? No, this is also entertaining, but this is (laughs) going to be really exciting. Being Mm -hmm. cast into a stormy, eternally dark mountain-sized pit filled with children who disobeyed their parents and being treated like snakes. So are you being treated like snakes, or are the children who disobeyed their parents being treated like snakes? Primarily the children, but we are with them. Well, see, people that own snakes are very kind to their snakes. I was going to say, like, do they have nice heat lamps? Are they yeah. being fed cr- crickets? Well, they're still being fed crickets at, at the very least. That's hmm. true. What about Which, a nice frozen mouse? Ooh, that's better than what I had for lunch. <laughs> I have to tell you someday about the story of one of my pet rats that died. In a snake. Did, did you save him for a snake? No, I was, <laughs> I was in Ireland and I came home and the woman who was watching my rats for me 
you know, left me a note saying like, uh, I think it was Mary, I can't remember if it's, I think it was Mary Catherine, my rat Mary Catherine passed away. And she said, I'm very, very sorry. And she's in the freezer because I don't know what you want to do with her. <laughs> Asterisk. By the way, <laughs> my boa constrictor would very much appreciate <laughs> Mary Catherine. Subtext. And <laughs> I did not. At the time, I was just kind of like, I probably should have given the Mary Catherine to the boa constrictor, but... It's like family. It's like family, and I was really tired and in a bad mood, so I buried Mary Catherine. Well, I know you're all excited. I've been thinking about Hippocrates all week. Mm-hmm. I went to the fancy baking store, and I bought some of that, um, the stuff you put on wedding cakes, the edible gold leaf. Oh. Oh, yum. Yeah. Uh-huh, and I... Put it on the avocado toast. Oh. Wow. So just like the Hippocrates, it's shiny on the outside and heavy on the inside. Squishy? Squishy on the inside. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So like hypocrite toast. Oh my gosh. I feel like we, amongst our many projects, we also need to open a food truck with foods and drinks based on Dante's Inferno. And or the rest of the podcast. But yes, we could start with Dante's Inferno. I feel like that would be the most extravagant failure ever. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to that one. I mean, day one, we get our license. End of day, there's nothing but smoldering remains and like three <laughs> fire trucks just hosing us down. <laughs> I've, I've tasted too many of the cocktails <gasps> we, okay. Place. Yeah. Okay. If we, if we had a food truck, we have to get a liquor license too. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's, that's difficult. Jacob will be just weeping in the corner or making that face that he's making right now. <laughs> well, I'm trying. I'm trying to come up with the hipster name for it because you have to with a clever name. Hmm. How about Beatrice's? Ooh. See, that's classy. I was going to go with Carnival of Bloat. No. No. That's the fried or. Food. Roving band of sodomites. <laughs> what about Roving- just sodomites? <laughs> well, if you park it on 6th Street. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll write up a business plan for our, for our failure. <laughs> oh, so a drink. Um, I'm very excited about tonight's drink. It's called a Flaming Homer. Yeah. Oh, wait, I see what you did there. See what I did there? Wow, nice illusion. Thank you. I'm all about the illusions. And it's a pop culture reference. And it's cold and flu season. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So this delicious drink has an ounce of vodka, an ounce of whiskey, an ounce of simple syrup, a quarter ounce of creme de cassis, a half ounce of blueberry schnapps, lemon lime soda, and one slash, one splash, sorry, not slash, Bacardi 151. So it's a very liquory drink. So you mix it all up with some ice, you shake it in, a, shake it up with some ice, and then you strain it into a glass over ice and top of lemon lime soda. Then you layer on the Bacardi and set on fire. Oh, so you you spoon the Bacardi on top just for the fire. It's the Bernie. It's the okay, Bernie. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. No cough syrup? Well, I think you chase it with cough syrup. I think that's the sidecar. Oh, okay. So is everybody everybody ready for uh, to check in about um, their emotions? Absolutely not. Because we've hit like a important moment here. Because we're we we peaked last week, and now we're on the um, other side of the mountain. I'd say a four. Yeah. Okay. A four out of five. 
Yeah. Yeah, we're a four out of five. A four, Uh I'm ready to discuss my feelings. Okay, excellent. I'm kind of a, I would discuss my feelings all the time and probably too much. Okay, so number one, since I've been reading The Inferno, my sleep has been undisturbed and restful. I'm still like a solid five on this one. I just pass out. I did find myself sleeping on a copy of The Inferno, which was a little little awkward, so I may take that to a four this week. Okay, four. What about you, Jamin? So, Daylight Savings just happened. Mm -hmm, It did. mm -hmm. And we're supposed to get an hour of sleep, extra, but no one told me that, and so I've been waking up at four every morning this week. Just like, I get up, like, bright-tailed and bushy-eyed, head downstairs, make coffee, chug coffee, look at my watch, and it's like 4.15, and I can't go back to bed because I'm dumb. Do you do anything useful with that time? Absolutely. I'm glad you asked. I spend a solid hour watching Anime Cat Girls on YouTube. Okay. I mean, right. researching Dante. <clears throat> sure. Definitely. See, this could go into the embroidery journal. Okay. Mm. So, uh, did you give a number to that? I want to say uh, a two again, because I'm not getting as much sleep as I'd like. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I would say probably, I don't know, it hasn't been, undi- it hasn't, It's. it has not been undisturbed, because I've been having really weird dreams that I'm sure yes. are connected. Uh-huh. Somehow. And my sleep is never restful, so I would probably say one. I'm going to say one. Okay. Since I've been reading The Inferno, I have been able to participate fully and productively in my work and day-to-day activities. I will say one thing, like, I feel like I am, I would rather be doing this than many of my uh, work and day-to-day activities. So I'd rather be, I should have a bumper sticker that says I'd rather be harrowing. (laughs) You don't have to be in the circle of hypocrites and falsifiers, but it helps. (laughs) (laughs) i have i have been spending my time kind of jumping between the two topics of inferno and long columns of numbers and actually i think it's been more productive because i could use one to distract from the other they're both kind of challenging so i'll call it a three okay three all right jamin uh i'm gonna go with a a five on this one because i seldom give fives I've been super productive at work, Mm -hmm. and I'm really good at my job, which is cussing at homeless people and telling them to be quiet while I fix their problems, mostly. And I'm really good at that, and I've I've been yelling at a lot of homeless people lately. It's great. So, yeah, definitely five. Are you good at fixing their problems? I'm sorry, what was the question? (laughs) Is this paid or sort of a non-profit endeavor? Well, let's cut that question out. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Okay. So, since I have been reading The Inferno, I've been able to maintain satisfying relationships with others. Um, I, Kanto 25, um, I have to say that things were getting a little stale at home, what with all The Inferno and temporarily breaking a bone and hiding in my room for a few weeks, but... Uh-huh. And there was that sequence about six-legged snake wrapping themselves around someone and doing unseemly things to them and then transforming into each other. And I have to say, a little role-play in the bedroom has really livened things up. Oh, okay. Okay, so that would be a five? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. I don't want to. 
mean, you know, a little a little shape shifting between consenting adults. I mean, it's the fire breathing dragon on the shoulder that really I just don't want to think about it. Yes. It's just the smoke being transmitted between the lizard and <laughs> the dude's belly button that really I have to imagine <laughs> that part. <laughs> I need to I need to go back and reread that in Sando Burke because I didn't this week. Mm. Okay. The, oh, uh, Jamin said uh, relationships with others satisfying. That's so, satisfying. I'm again going to give a solid five uh, satisfying relationships with others because I've been yelling at a lot of other of people and I've been enjoying it. So I'm fully satisfied with how I've been relating to people. So Virgil has been proud of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They may not be satisfied, but I am. So yeah, the you, Vir, Virgil has gotten to you on the. Being a, being a yeah. jerk. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm very polite. Very okay. polite. All right. Sit down. Shut up. Listen to me. Please. So that's polite. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> wow. I'd I said please. Polite, <laughs> and 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 get this. Mm-hmm. I say thank you. <laughs> wow. You yeah. deserve like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Why are you? You're a hero. You're you're an American hero. So I would say uh, able to maintain satisfying relationships with others. I think the relationships that matter. Yes. The cat. So I'm going to give myself a five. Yay! That's three fives. Woohoo! So uh, since reading the Inferno, I have found joy in social and recreational activities. Damon, it sounds like that's you've kind of you're looking for new ones. So. I am looking for new recreational activities. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I am enjoying my current recreational activities. It's just that I'm I'm far too good at them. I'm exceeding I'm exceeding everything. I need I need something more challenging. You're experiencing a lot of confidence today, aren't you? Yes. Good for you. Good for Yay. you. Yay! Okay, give you a five for that. Okay, Jacob. Uh, I am experiencing more joy and pleasure in reading the Inferno. Oh. And I really like Content Twenty Five. It's gotten way better, hasn't it? I think so. I'll call this a four. Okay. I would say, yeah. Yeah. I've been been busy, but I'm enjoying the making time for the social and recreational, privileging those. So that's very rewarding. So I will say, I will say five as well. We're all doing really well today. This is totally skewing the bell curve for the rest of the week. That's true. Oh, well. The last one. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. Since I've been reading The Inferno, I have used unnecessary and convoluted classical references to convince others of my worth. Yeah. Pretty much every day I compare myself to some sort of Colossus of Rhodes or similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, more so now because I can do it in Terzarima. Ooh. Yeah, let's, let's say an IV. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth. That was overly convoluted. Uh, Jamin? I'm actually going to go back. I'm going to give myself a one on this one because I've been using less convoluted things and overly simplistic. Mm, Okay. Um, I, here's the thing. So maybe not classical references, but I'm kind of known at work for creating really obscure analogies and Leaning very, very hard into those analogies. Yes, so that does help communication. It does. It really, really does. So I'd say, I'd say five. Like the the Douglas Adams sort of analogies, or like 
deeply like flawed it, metaphors. It it hung yes. in the air. It hung in the air the way a brick doesn't. They're more like, uh, oh gosh, I, now I can't think of an example. Graceful but, um, cathedrals of words with flawed foundations. Yes, there you go. Uh huh. Every analogy breaks down kind of the way ducks don't ride motorcycles. <laughs> That's good. And scene. <laughs> Canto 23, I'm walking on hypocrites. <laughs> oh, the Hippocrates. Yes, yes, yes. That is how you say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lengthy aside on the fable of the mouse and the frog. Yes. Which is different than the fable of, of the turtle and the scorpion. Similar, yes. but different and weirder. Yeah, because like, why does the frog want to hurt the mouse? It made no sense to me. He's not. He can't eat him. Well, he's just a spiteful frog. I didn't realize... Frogs were such dicks. <laughs> Well-known phenomenon. They wage a war <laughs> against beavers and mice. Wait, but beavers are the good guys. So frogs are the bad guys? Well, it's like the War Apparently. of the Roses. Are there really good guys or bad guys when it comes down to frogs and beavers? Mm-hmm. Ask a Tory. There. Um, so we, we, uh, we're very concerned about whether the demons will get us. We meet hypocrites. And in particular, Caiaphas, who's stapled to the ground and folks have to step on them. And there's that really neat image of the hypocrites wandering around in their lovely, lovely, sparkly party clothes that are made of lead. Can I say how excited I was that I knew who Caiaphas was? Well, he was in Jesus Christ Superstar. Yes, with yeah. his song, This Jesus Must Die. And, and he was the dude with the black leather onion <laughs> Once in a while, I can line drop this. What we require is a more permanent solution to our problems. <laughs> You've got the, like, complete lack of tone down. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. The most complimentary thing she said this evening. <laughs> oh, I think it was, it, was, it was an homage to how badly, how badly that song goes. So where should we begin? There's like three fun notes in here. There's Caiaphas. I guess we should start with the frogs. There's some weird notes there. Yeah, there's some weird notes there. Okay, so <laughs> once upon a time, there was a mouse who wanted to cross a pond and a bastard frog that wanted to drown him, but agreed to the whole pond crossing thing with the like secret mission to drown the mouse because frogs are bastards. Mm-hmm. And then a hawk ate them both. The end. And the moral of this story is... <laughs> it doesn't matter what you put on your grits. You're going to eat them at the end of the day. Hmm. Hmm. So, theory, the mouses are sinners, and the frogs are demons, and then the hawk is whom? That's a very good question. The Pope. No. I guess. <laughs> is the hawk slightly wet? Because it could be the Antichrist. <laughs> oh. Bear. Uh-huh. It's true. So, it's kind of, yeah, like, it's the condition of, right, you're going to, uh, yeah, you shouldn't harm others. It's harm will come to you. I feel like it's it's likely it's either death or God or both. I think it's probably, yeah, judgment. Yeah, judgment. At, at the end of the day, the sinners will get what, what they deserve. Right, mm-hmm. right. And Whether you cross the pond or not. Who's the mouse then? Because the mouse is completely innocent. The he sinners. He just wanted to see the world. He's a sinner. Okay. He's just a normal, average sinner who seeks redemption and doesn't go to hell. 
According to St. Augustine, all mice are carriers of original mouse sin. Mouse sin. Yes. What is mouse sin? How did they? Is it like uh, muskrat love? Yes. <laughs> very much so. Muskrat sodomy? Mm. <laughs> uh, I can't answer that one. I plead the 27th. For those of you that didn't tune in last week, sodomy is merely defined as anything that's just not vanilla. There are entire podcasts devoted to sodomy, and I don't think we need to participate in that. That mm-hmm. It's just not <laughs> vanilla, guys. Okay, just mm-hmm. not vanilla. Just not vanilla. And then those amazing coats. Yes. Got I the mean, gold. It, we got the lead. Tempting. And lead the avocados. Gold, solid gold. Mm-hmm. Ooh, solid like disco. That'd be really amazing looking. Mm-hmm. But like with mm-hmm. lead boots. Yeah. Lead platform boots would suck. I know. Well, so does everything about hell, really. Oh, that's valid. I feel like they're getting off kind of easy, though, because they're not having their entrails ripped out. They're not on fire. Yeah, there's some allusion to Frederick II executing people by wrapping them in lead and, like, cooking them in it. Oh, so, and we come to that allusion later with the Sicilian bull. Right. Isn't that the next canto? But yeah, yeah. So Uh maybe there's some kind of tie into fire there. But mostly, yeah, they're just kind of... Very heavy and very slow, mm-hmm. which um, sounds like goth dancing, really. So I don't, I'm not <laughs> seeing this as being the worst torment in hell. That's right. They're just playing Bella Lugosi's dead over and over, <laughs> over again. But Caiaphas has to deal with all these people kind of stepping on him with their leadline platform boots, and that mm-hmm. he's suffering more than perhaps all of them. Ouch! That's true. Ouch! Mm-hmm. Ouch! Ouch! <laughs> There's an interesting line at the end, which I thought maybe needed to be expanded on a little bit. Thereafter, my leader with great strides went on, somewhat disturbed with anger in his looks, whence from the heavy laden I departed after the prince of his beloved feet. Which, pedantically, I would point out that he doesn't leave footprints. I was going to say, like, you know, I, I looked at that line multiple times and I couldn't figure out why it stood out to me. There is a really nice website, which I discovered this far into the Inferno, which kind of makes me sad. It's Dante Lab at dartmouth.edu, and it has multiple translations of the Inferno, I mean, like English, German, and French, next to the original language, with an assortment of drop-down commentary authors. Ooh. And Robert Hollander is their main English source, and he says that there is a likely a reference to a classic writer who said something along the lines of, do not attempt to rival the divine Aeneid, but follow at a distance, always worshipping its footsteps. Oh, okay. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And you shouldn't feel sad about finding that reference. I think we're going to be doing a lot of revisiting of our episodes over time. Quite possibly. Mm-hmm. Next time it's, it's walking with uh, Frederick, or Rob, walking with Robert. There's an interesting line that begins this canto. It's like, for Mo and Issa are not more alike. But you'd only see that in, like, the Higginbotham version. Oh, yeah. What? Okay, let me look at mine. Mm-hmm. And a little elevator music while I find this. For Mo and Issa are not more alike than that one is to that. If, well, we couple, end the beginning with a steadfast mind. And Hollander, again, says that Mo and Issa are both sort of Italian synonyms for, they both mean right now. So it's mm. right now and right now are not more like, and that's that's kind of neat. 
Oh, okay. That ex- I think that explains something to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I have a silent, apart, and unattended we went. As minor friars go when they walk abroad, one following the other. Okay, Aww. I gotta, I gotta find Sando Burke. Hang, That's hang on. Mm-hmm. Kind of beautiful. Mm-hmm. Here, Sando. Oh, but Sando, I see what you're you? saying. Because then I have for compared. Okay, uh, for compared attentively, point by point, pig is no closer to hog than the one case to the other. Right. So it's this kind of very it's synonymy sort of thing. Yeah. So it's kind of like I don't know. Yeah. It's really interesting. There's some nice. Well, we'll we'll get to it, but there's some nice. There's some nice moments in in the in this section. On like twenty four, where he lists twenty different kinds of snakes. It's very that's relaxing. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, an inventory of snakes. I did get to watch Sando Burke's movie version of this, and there is hmm. an awesome chase sequence. I think it's this canto where Virgil and Dante are running through an airport, and. <laughs> And they've got their arms and legs are like on loopy thing, like on, on rods. They're just kind of turning in this like wee sort of gesture of like constant motion. It's really cute. It's like burr. Burr. Burr, yes. Burr. Who has many legs and doesn't return my calls. I'll have to watch that. I'm getting a DVD of it soon, but it's really taking its sweet time. You have a movie party. Okay, I have a theory. So... The Mouse and the Frog fable actually refers to the demons and the one sinner who was trying to trick them. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Along those general lines. That's, that seems pretty okay. sound. Okay. Chase sequence. Chase sequence is kind of strange because both Dante and Virgil are running away from the demons. Yeah. You'd think that, right. Is like the multipass not working? I don't, I don't <laughs> know. The multipass works later, but it works on sinners. And also, did they really have to run? I mean, they only needed to go to the next Bolgia, right? Well, yeah, but all the bridges are broken down, so it's really hard oh. to get anywhere. Yeah, the the um, I don't know if this is the harrowing or not, but a lot of the stuff down here has collapsed. Maybe the, the poor ma- infrastructure. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I mean, does hell do maintenance work? Probably not. Mm, no. Yeah, I mean, they had all they that. They don't have a... The answer is yes. Have you driven on 35 lately? Fair. What is the thing from Brazil, the, the form that everybody needs to get anything done? It's the, like, 72J slash 7 or something like that. What? <laughs> I'll have to look that up. Canto 24? Serpents and Sinners. Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. <laughs> From Milton Bradley. <laughs> oh, yeah, Shoots and Ladders. Dante mm-hmm. is having a sad because he thought Virgil was in a snit, but it turns out that Virgil is just annoyingly better than thou anyway. The seventh mm-hmm. chasm is full of thieves, and there's a complicated mess of a mess where naked sinners are tied up with snakes, and the snakes bite them, and the sinner burns up, and then gets better. Conto yes. 25. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. I have just a weird thing here, because uh, and I, I'm just curious, as uh, Jamin, as a uh, linguistic type, so the translation, my transla- the translator uh, has listed... All of those, the different critters. Yes. And he said that he translated the Latin, or he rendered their names from Latin to English Jabberwocky. I Have you ever heard that before? Lewis Carroll? It, it is of, of the Lewis Carroll. However, I've never used Jabberwocky to, as I've never heard or seen it used as a synonym for like, 
Greek text, essentially, or maybe not even Greek text, but but just kind of like a phonetic spelling, I suppose. Well, is it a Greek text, or is he referring specifically to the amphisbend or amphisbona? Oh, if he's maybe. referring specifically to the amphisbona, uh-huh. that one is a water serpent that eats ants and has a head at each end. Oh my God! It's your favorite thing. Call back to Egypt, yes. Uh huh. So, so Jabberwocky English. I don't know if that's just like his little made-up thing for. That sounds like yeah. There's nonsense. There's an article on Omniglot about the Jabberwocky of English. Oh, really? And it's it seems like people just take this word to mean what it is. It's syllables strung together which sound like they should. Makes sense, but don't. Mm, okay. I'm going to bookmark this for later. There's a famous Italian song that is based on that then. That I could, I could not pronounce, but I will share that with you. Well, there's an Italian tradition, and I think I see this in that, like, that last episode of Charlie Chaplin when he actually starts talking. Um, it's called Macaroni, or Macaronic Verse. And it's just kind of this cheerful hodgepodge of like five different languages that sounds kind of Italian, but really is nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There are, there are videos, what English sounds like to foreigners. And it's mm-hmm. just like, and they're saying it's like carrots and mashed potatoes, gravy, uh, you know, ma- Jabberwocky Subway. Yeah. I really want to read this article. Bookmark. Uh, stray thoughts. We're Getting a lot of like exercise sequences and like mountain climbing montages here, and Dante is wearing out physically. Uh, he's having trouble with these heights and crawling over the bulges and things like that. So he's really kind of showing his mortal side, and I think that's one of the reasons that Virgil's kind of getting cross with him because, come on, you keep having to stop and breathe. I don't know what is this, hmm. and another element of kind of physicality in this world as well is, is Dante starting to burn out, or possibly just. Admitting writer's block. Yeah, yeah, it could mm. be allegorically. Like, he's, he's really, like, well, it was his decision to put, like, ten circles of hell in one circle of hell. So, if he started to, like, start to run out of steam, I, he's only got himself to blame. Hmm. Hmm. Benny Fucci? He gets a lot of screen time today. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering about that. I meant to look him up. I hope somebody he's, else did. He's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot of bad things. He's murdered people and murdered people and just kind of awful. But what he gets into hell for is stealing from the sacristy. I think its own little twist of the knife is that he's going to be remembered for the sin of taking the communion chalice or something really petty like that, as opposed to anything that's kind of got a action-adventure theme song to it. And also he puts a curse on Dante. Oh, he does. Isn't that, is that right now? He also like swears against God, but that's the next episode. He casts an epithet against God. Yes. I feel like this is their three moments where Dante, there's kind of hints that he's in danger. Hmm. But is he? The snakes, uh, fetid water serpents, uh, Asian boa constrictors, water serpent that eats ants at his head at both ends. The jaculi are tiny little dragons with little wings. (laughs) <laughs> that's a, that's a hypothetical, I suspect. And the Chenriad is like a rainbow boa now, or just some sort of snake. So they have some some colors. Um, the contrapasso for this one is that snakes will bite you and steal your identity. 
<laughs> Which actually, I think that Sandow Burke needs to revisit this one and like take it into the 21st century because like identity theft is such a thing now. I was thinking about that in the, you know, the old SNL fake ad about, you know, robots will come and steal your medicine. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> it's like, you know, one of those kind of fear mongering ads geared towards senior citizens. And it's like, you know, old robots love to steal old people's medicine. <laughs> okay. Uh, somebody remind me to look that up on YouTube later. Oh, definitely. I sent y'all the, the crazy song, the Italian song. That was Gloria by Umberto Tozzi, right? Yes, uh, exactly right. Gloria. It's apparently significant that there's no real break between 24 and 25 because like the condos are flowing into each other a lot more organically now. Ooh, like a snake in a center. I, yes. The condo bursts into flames and then reforms itself from the ashes. Yes, but also Dante showing like he's like this masterful poet that he will tell you about how masterful he is. Have you read his blog, by the way? Oh, is he being <laughs> oh, yeah. poetic? Yeah, he gets into that weird kind of rap battle thing about like how he's a better he's better at describing stuff. Right. So like the one thing and I when I was a grad student in poetry, I learned this mm -hmm. about other poets and worked very hard to exterminate it for myself. There's nothing that poets like writing about more than poetry and poets. Oh, it's true. It's kind of a closed system. Yeah, it real well, I mean, it is a very narcissistic um incestuous ecosystem. But also, like, that's the least desirable trait of poets, of which there are a great many undesirable traits. Hmm. But writing about poets and poetry has got to be the worst. It's like, no one wants to read that. Other poets don't really want to read that. They just want to nod while you're talking about it. It's kind of like uh, people talking about their bands. Yes. <laughs> yes. But pretty they don't have a band. Or, or if you write songs about your band. Oh, see, yeah. there's a whole other yeah. meta thing, right? Mm. Oh. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh -huh. Oh, how There meta. should be a circle of hell about people who write songs about their own band. Mm -hmm. Canto 25 is the least chatty of any of the cantos. Like, it has very, it's like 15% quotes and dialogue and things like that, and monologue. There's, like, no internal dialogue. There's no back and forth. Dante does not call anybody over for a lengthy conversation about their past or future. It's just kind of weird action sequences going on in this like chaotic blitz. Mm, I mean, mm -hmm. it starts off with a centaur running through the room screaming and covered in snakes. <laughs> Best party ever. It happens. Man blaspheming and saying F you God. Mm -hmm. This is both this is, fists. This is back to the fig. I learned about the fig. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This and is this is Vanny, by the way, right? It is. It is Vanny. Vanny has a screaming fit against God, just both middle fingers upraised saying, F you, F you, deity, which does probably call some attention to Dante in his travels. Okay. I, I meant to ask this before, but like in the notes, it's like Vanny reluctantly identifies himself. For someone who's so outspoken, why was he so reluctant in the beginning? Hmm. Hmm. He's, he's bashful and shy. And then one canto later... He's had one flaming homer, and he's on the bar, half-naked, flipping off the sky. Hmm. I don't know. That's an interesting question. I don't have answers. Okay. Uh, it gets significantly weirder after that, as um, <laughs> Six-Legged Serpent bites or boinks a guy, possibly both at the same time, and merges with him into some sort of strange, horrible mutant thing. 
And then one other strange, horrible mutant snake thing turns into two guys. Everybody's like, oh, it's Bob. Hi, Bob. <laughs> and it's a really chaotic, chaotic, crazy scene. Nothing is permanent. People are just transforming left and right. They're debased, and it's completely insane and very fast moving. Was it Bob Newhart? Oh, it should be. I mean, you know, we did establish early on that there's a tight, tight Bob Newhart con- connection. Right, right. Dante mm-hmm. was influenced by Bob's early work, I assume. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think the transformation, that's one thing. But then the fact that, you know, this horrible thing is happening and it just kind of toddles off to be on its own. Right. <laughs> like, it you needs, know what? It needs aftercare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just like, where is it going? And what is it going to do once it's there? It's going to it's- bite someone and turn them into <laughs> two men or maybe turn them into three snakes in a trench coat. <laughs> Three small snakes in a trench coat. Yes, hello, I'd like to buy a ticket, please. (laughs) (laughs) I think that the real important crux here is that this is kind of tied to the thievery. Thievery, in this case, people can steal identities. They can steal your bodies. Everything about you can be stolen. And I think one of the effects this has on the world, and maybe just generally falsifying has in the world as well, is it creates the system where nothing can be relied on, where nothing is constant, where you can't predict tomorrow because it'll be taken from you by these people. And I think that's kind of where the chaos comes from and goes, is this just deep uncertainty in everything. That is super... It's way complicated. It's... I was, I was just <laughs> going to say, this scene, again, it's, it's weird, it's crazy, it's wacky. Why is this about thievery? And I think you explained it too well. Well, this is where thieves go when they die, to a place where they have nothing, and even that is taken from them. Hmm. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read a large chunk of this because I love this scene so much. Um, As I was holding, raised on them by my brows, behold, a serpent with six feet darts forth in front of one and fastens wholly on him. With middle feet it bound him round the paunch, with the forward ones his arms it seized, and thrust its teeth through one cheek and the other. The hindermost it stretched upon its thighs and put its tail between the two, and up behind along the reins outspread it. Ivy was never fastened by its barbs into a tree so, as this horrible reptile upon the other's limbs entwined its own. They stuck close, as if of heated wax they had been made, and intermixed their color, nor one nor other seemed now what he was. Even as proceedeth upon before the flame upward along the paper a brown color, which is not black as yet, and the white dyes, the other two looked on, and each of them said, "'Oh, me, Agnello, how you've changed!' Behold, thou art neither two nor one. Already the two heads have become one, and when there appeared to us two figures mingled into one face, wherein the two were lost, of the four lists were fashioned by two arms, the thighs, the legs, the belly, and the chest, members became that never yet were seen. Every original aspect there was cancelled, two and yet none did the perverted image appear, and such departed with slow pace, even as a lizard under the great scourge of day's canicular, exchanging hedge lightning appeareth if the road it crossed did thus appear. It's it's like they've unlocked some secret level of the Kama Sutra. <laughs> Advanced users only. Exactly. Like, you know, kind of like, seriously, like you have to show some mad skills if you to get to this level. <laughs> Up, down, left, right, A, B, A, B. <laughs> Surprisingly, this wasn't mentioned in the Dante Virgil slash fix section that we looked at last week. And it could have been. Now, someone did turn into a bee, but not a snake or a six, a six-legged snake. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of phallic in here, too. Awful mm-hmm. lot of phallic. Because, like, the fig is a very phallic gesture. That's the one with the ginger, right? 
No, that's the fig. Yes. Okay. Well, so now it gets complicated. There's a fig, which is a little fruit that you eat. Oh, it's pronounced fig, a gesture. Fig is a gesture. And that's when you take your thumb and you put it between your middle fingers and kind of push it forward, which is not only- I got your nose. Well, it looks like (laughs) that. It looks like that. But it's also, um, it's a traditional gesture of of warding against the evil eye, which is a feminine principle and sort of an F-U sort of thing, you know, standard obscene gesture as well. And a fig, F-E-A-G-U-E, is when you take a piece of ginger and put it up a horse's butt so that it's sprightly. Ouch. Although, you could also put a snake or eel up its butt so it's sprightly. That's so worse. It all kind of comes back. Mm-hmm. So Eels are notoriously not spicy. True. Yeah, this is a, this is a notable canto. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel it was one of the high points for me. <laughs> There's some good artwork of it online. <laughs> Boy, don't Google that. There is. Actually, it's a little kind of blush worthy. A little, a know? little, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can I can I be a total like eight year old boy? <laughs> I mean, okay. aren't you aren't you already? Will you tell me what your line sixty nine says? <laughs> can I be a, can I be a total forty five year old boy? Flabbergasted. So, uh, Sandoberg, this whole scene is the two bodies begin to meld together like they were made of Play-Doh. <laughs> I'm like, see, that seems kind of that's sweet. succinct. Mm-hmm. It was like the Terminator in T2, or the faces in that Michael Jackson video. <laughs> <laughs> Can I read you my line sixty-nine while we wait? One face where neither face began nor ended. That was the movie with Nick Cage, right? <laughs> yes, it was Face Off. Uh huh. Behold, thou art neither two nor one. I feel like there's a, there's a there was a plan here. I'm happy. That there is no way for you to misconstrue this section because it really is this blue. It really is. It really is. Like the tail goes between his thighs, hint, hint. I, I don't know where anything is going anymore, why there's six mm-hmm. legs. Right, exactly. And here's the weirdest part the snake started to sprout a little dick out of the crack in his tail, and yeah. then the guy's weenie shriveled up into two little tadpole legs sticking out of his scaly body. Yeah, <laughs> that's in there. Seriously? Yeah. That's what that says? But it's in the book, too. It's in the original. I guess the members, that's what the members mean? Yeah. Yeah, where Mine is doesn't it? Ha- it's not that explicit. Yours doesn't have the Play-Doh? Has no Play-Doh. Well, this is the second transformation sequence where the one becomes two. Uh, Thereafter, the hind feet together twisted became the member that a man conceals, and of his own, the wretched two created. Before we go on to Kanto 26... I have to say that all of these weird snake mergers and break aparts and turning into multiple snakes and things like that really reminds me of party games. Oh, yay! Yes. Only the best parties have uh, snake merging. Like yes. Twister? Very much like Twister or, <laughs> right. or Snakes and Ladders or Sad Libs. Oh, yay, I love a Sad Lib. Are you ready? I think I'm ready. Oh, wait, was that a subtle lean-in? He caught us unawares. He's really good at transitions. Can I please have a verb transitive? Damn it! Okay, so verb transitive, hurl. Noun. Diet soda. Mythical creature. Liger. (laughs) Those don't exist. Noun. Microphone. Verb intransitive. Puddle. Noun. Venus de Milo. Noun. Dongle. (laughs) I mean... We're all eight-year-old boys, really. Noun. Pebble. Okay, eight-year-old boys, body part. 
Uvula. Epidermis. Cochlea. Macula. What? Macula is the back part of the eye, uh, part of the retina. Tibula. Creature. Jackalope. Verb intransitive. Panic. Verb intransitive. Dressed. A funny noise. Woo, woo. A place proper noun. Paris. Texas or France? Kentucky, actually. Mm, okay. A geological feature. Hoodoo. What? Ooh. A hoodoo is a geological feature. What is it? Like a kind of wind-made stack of rock. It's like a oh. butte. Yeah. But uh-huh. but skinnier. Right. Mm-hmm. A substance or material. Postage stamp. No, that's a noun. Postage stamps. Okay. <laughs> Verb intransitive. To founder. Noun. The Sphinx. Concept noun. Malaise. Mm. Oh, that's good. Preposition. In. Adjective. Dainty. Noun. Magnet. Noun. Like an object. Roomba. Historical or literary figure. Ne- Nefertiti. Verb transitive. Cuddle. Number. Seven. Thirteen. Okay, so there's a scene where a centaur runs in hunting a blasphemer. <laughs> So this, first off, you had to imagine the blasphemer is coming in. Then the centaur comes up and says, where is he? Where is he? It's that sequence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He fled away and hurled no further diet sodas. <laughs> and I beheld a liger full of microphones came puddling out. Where is, where is the dongle? I do not think Venus de Milo had so many pebbles as he had along his uvula. Her pebbles as- definitely <laughs> fell off. As far as where our epidermis begins, upon the cochlea, just behind the macula, with tibula wide open, was a jackalope panicking. And he dressing to all he encounters, my master said, that one is whoop whoop. (laughs) Whom beneath the rock upon Paris, Kentucky, created oftentimes a hoodoo of postage stamps. He foundering not upon the same road with the sphinx. By reason of the malaise he made of the great herd which he had in him, whereat his dainty magnet ceased beneath the Roomba of Nefertiti, who peradventure cuddled him a seven, and he felt thirteen. <laughs> wow, cuddled him at seven and he felt thirteen? It's that like, is, that's an Aerosmith song. Can we, can we tweet that? Please, 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 please. Okay. <laughs> Canto 26, so many Florentines. <laughs> it's lousy with Florentines. Gotta say, I didn't like this canto so much. It was kind of meditative and tranquil, in a sense. It's like we're wandering around, there's like thousands of little little fires, and these are people that give bad advice. or However. Or bad advisors, a, rather. It's true. This does have the totally baffling story about the bear. The bear is in here? The bear is in, in Canto 26. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. It is at, it is line, it starts way up at line 25. As many fireflies as the peasant sees when he rests on a hill and looks into the valley where he tills or gathers grapes or prunes his trees in that sweet season when the face of him who lights the world rides north and at the hour when the fly yields to the gnat and the air grows dim, such uh-huh. myriads of flames I saw shine through the gloom of the eighth abyss when I arrived at the rim from which its bed came into view. As he, the bears, avenged so fearfully, beheld Elijah's chariot depart, the horses ride toward heaven, but could not see more than one flame, a cloudlet in the sky, blah, blah, blah. So, so what is this bear thing? I'm a little bird it, lost. <laughs> Burke doesn't have a it, bear. Yours doesn't have a bear? The bear is very important here. Um, Mine has a bear. I, so it comes from Second Kings, Second Kings 2. Yes. It's a story of... Elisha, Elisha and Elijah. Oh, great. And That's helpful. 
<laughs> and I think it's Elisha or, or Elisha and Elijah, but Elisha was Elijah's protege and he watched Elijah go into the sky. Like the Lord called him up in a, in a chariot into the sky. And he was really sad because he knew this was foretold and everything. So he knew it was going to happen, but it was still horrible to see his master go up into the sky in this chariot of flames. And um, very sad, very sad. So these children, because he was bald, these so children long, started farewell, love you, this and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> they kept calling him Baldy, like you know, saying saying rude things like "Get over it, Baldy." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The bear <laughs> ate so the children. He, he called the Lord to send a bear, two bears, to maul the children. We right. made fun of him. That's nice. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, what have we learned today? He G who with the bears, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't make fun of bald people because they'll sick. They'll they have power to summon bears. I guess they they uh, are all clerics or something. And the Lord will send bears to maul children, which is a big controversy. There are all sorts of articles online trying to explain away the whole bear situation as like, well, really, they're not kids. They were like rowdy teenagers. And really, you know, they were not taunting old Baldy. They were taunting the Lord. And so really, it's okay that the bears mauled them to and death. Really, they weren't bears. It's, they were... It's right and good that the bears mauled them to death. <laughs> okay. Okay. God is unpleasant. I lost interest after the bears. Well, there is there is kind of a lengthy aside on Ulysses, and mm -hmm. it just it goes on for a bit. I, I feel I kind of start tuning out whenever there's like a specific character called out and named in the book. Yeah, because it just tends to go on. But one thing that I kind of liked here is that Dante's really showing off his his blogging skills because he just says, "I'm the best writer," and to show that, I will reference other people and just pull them in to show that I have mastery over their words. Yes. So theoretically, and we established this we established this earlier episode, people that write Dante slash fic are the greatest writers of all. Yes, they are. Mm -hmm. it, it follows. Yeah, because they're pulling in multiple iterations of Dante's work. And I would say though, I have to uh, okay, so so a couple of points that I that I had or questions I had. So he's treating Ulysses as if Ulysses is a real person. Yeah. Wait, he's not? Well, however, I found an article in The Guardian from 2010 arguing that they may have found his his palace. Oh. So I don't know if, what happened Ooh. after that, but there was kind of like some archaeologists say that, oh, it's definitely his. And other people are like, no, the, 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 the description of the island's wrong, blah, blah, blah. It can't possibly be his. So there's some controversy that maybe he actually was real in some form. But Dante just straight up, says he's real, and then makes up his death. Which I have to say, I really liked his sto the story of his death because it was very sort of Bilbo Baggins-ish, but there's death at the end. I'm glad you mentioned Bilbo Baggins because on your prior statement about every time he pulls a character in, it's kind of like The Hobbit, where every time there's a song in italic an italicized text, I just skip over that. I don't read the songs. I don't think I've ever read The Hobbit, There and Back Again, and the songs. And people are like, oh, the songs are interesting. It's like, no, they're not. They're boring. But they add plot points. Well, then tell me the plot points. I don't want to listen to the song. <laughs> right? You're bringing Ulysses in to tell his story. I skipped over that part. Let's move on. Maybe there's bears in the next canto. I mean, there are 
there are some pretty horrible moments in the next Kanto. Yay! Mm-hmm. Also, there is a delicious slash fic moment around it's line 67, 68, at least in my translation, where Dante says to Virgil, do not deny me. You see how fervently I long for it. <laughs> Oi! Bow, chicka, bow, bow. Let's see what let's see what Henry Wadwiggle Wham, Wham Fibble says. <laughs> what line was that? Canto twenty. It was six. It was uh, Canto twenty six, line sixty seven, sixty eight. If they within those sparks possess the power to speak, I said, Thee, Master, much I pray and repray that the prayer be worth a thousand, that thou make no denial of awaiting until the horned flame shall come hither. Wait, thou seest, mine's- thou seest that with desire I lean towards it. Ooh. So mine's sexier. This is the E. But take heed that thy tongue restrain itself. Ooh, okay, there it is. There it is. The E in horned has two dots over it. Horned. Horned. Right? Which, this is <laughs> because, because this is an umlaut. If there were two letters, it'd be a di- uh-huh. diuresis, but it's not. Right. And so what is E with it? It's, he wants the, the what's horned. the upside down grave? Carrot, an anti-carrot, a tarok. A carrot, tarok. Ah, snap. I used to have a little chart of diacriticals back when I was an editor. I do not have my little chart of diacriticals. I had that same one. It was pinned on my wall. So useful. So useful. (laughs) (laughs) I want that chart. Hey, for Christmas. We're the same person now. For Christmas, buy me that chart. (laughs) Merged. Merged like snakes. (laughs) Oh, gross. Alrighty. 27. 27. Oh, this is where we start with the Sicilian bull. Kanto 27, <laughs> something, something, History Channel on Fire. Um, nice. There's a lot, of, a lot of meta in here because poets really like writing about poetry. I'm actually lost. Somebody this got raised. Weird. We have Guido. He is talking about... So we start with the bull, just the reference to the bull. Yeah. yeah. So, he, yeah, we have the three levels of 27, evil counselors, Guido... He wants to hear recent news, so yeah, Dante gives a whole recounting. There's the weird moment where Virgil says, this one is Italian, you speak to him. (laughs) Which is bizarre. (laughs) Yeah, so we have the Polenta Eagle. Yeah, Ravenna stands as long years it stood, the Eagle of Polenta there is brooding, and I'm I'm pretty sure that's cream of wheat, which sounds, Mm -hmm. sounds lovely. Mm -hmm. The city of once made a long resistance, and of the French a sanguinary heap Beneath the green pause finds itself again. What? Wait, I need to look that one up. Oh, yeah, that one. I read all of this and none of it stuck. It's this very inside baseball accounting of recent events. Yeah, I was kind of like, where's the green pause? Oh, this is 26, Simon. You know, not going to lie, this one's all biography, and I feel like I kind of want to move on. It's political. If you yeah. are active in the politics of Florence 800 years ago, how many years ago? 700. Yeah. Read Canto 27. Yeah. It's, it's true. Very insightful. But there's a weird moment where Guido implies that Dante's not going to make it out of here alive. Right. Yeah. There's a prophecy of doom thing happening. Uh-huh. Uh, and yet, this is a trilogy. Yes. Do we, Did Guido know that? Do we know this? Did Dante know that? Yeah. Like, well, look, Dante's self-acknowledging himself as the narrator great writer of this entire thing so yeah this is all okay he's all, already had this yeah, like it's, storyboarded it's out all flashback yeah so like okay yeah so with the chase sequences that's all that's all artistry 
Artistry. Artistry. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to move on to 28. 28 is more fun. 28. Canto 28. Discord and Scandal. The ninth There's ditch some- of the eighth circle. There's some awkward stuff here. It's pretty nasty and gruesome. Sinners in the circle are doomed to wander around with a, until they're disemboweled by a devil, but they heal. Mm-hmm. These are sowers of discord and scandal and schism. Big time schism. We are going to lean very heavily into schism here. <laughs> um, so much schism. Arguably the most gruesome hell so far and mm-hmm. nicely customized because the devils can cut people apart however they like and stitch them back together. Um the showpiece of this has to be Muhammad and Ali, the founders of Islam, who Dante viewed as like founders of a great schismatic order because it kind of split Christianity up. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have many nice things to say about them. And this is also hot on the heels of 300 years of crusades in which people made a lot of ill-advised excursions into the Middle East to reclaim the Holy Land. And a lot of people died. And including children. There was the whole children's crusade where children went to another bad idea. Fight. Yes, <laughs> and also as Islam had or Islam, Islamic nations had a lot of influence on art, culture, science, the occult, mysticism, philosophy, everything. Like they were not having a dark ages; they were having a Renaissance three hundred years before the Renaissance. Yes, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. perhaps there was a little bit of jealousy there as well. I don't know. This is a fairly ugly scene, though. A lot of death. A lot of dismemberment. And I have to say, this is one of those times where it gets the most crude, specifically when talking uh, about Muhammad and Ali. Yeah, yeah. This it's, it kind of it gets kind of nasty. Mm-hmm. This is Dante being quite savage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's there's Bertrand who walks around carrying his head by his own hair, like a like a thurible. Yeah, I think that's kind of reference of like St. Joseph wandering around with the lantern all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And that becomes kind of the poster, like that's the image that everybody knows about Inferno. Oh, not not Canto 25 and the Six-Legged Snake Man? <laughs> I think that, again, is a deep cut. That's for people in the know. Okay. <laughs> people with issues. But you can buy t-shirts with the image of Bertram on it. On the, like the famous Dory, is it that's, Dory? Yeah. Who did the illustration? That's yeah. true, that's true. Have you seen... I mean, this is a Halloween thing. Have you seen Over the Garden Hedge? No, you've told me about it. But there's a there's a character that's always wandering around with a lantern, and it kind of has a Bertram-like element to it. Oh, it's not his head. It is possibly his soul. Ooh, okay. All right. Yeah, that, that series does heavily reference the Inferno. Wow, okay. That was a Halloween movie? It was a Halloween, like, 10-episode YouTube series that's about two hours of material altogether. But it references the Suicide Woods and huh. the, this this bit with Bertram. And a lot of other things. It's got a lot of a lot of Inferno references intentionally. Huh. And it's cute. I just thought it was cute. I never watched it. Oh. Well, it's cute. Oh. It also reminded me of the hermit that's in the tarot, the hermit with the lantern. I can see that, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think those two things are connected at all. But um, this is also where we finally get an explanation of the gulfs versus the gleams. And how that all started. Ugh. Which seems like kind of a, just like, really? That's it? Yeah. Is someone silverware or something like that, I assume? See, I've just completely forgotten because it was so meh. So the contrapasso in this one is that people are torn apart in the same way that they tore apart other people their entire lives. So that's kind of the the clever bit. It's kind of the most... Literal? Like that, the most direct... 
yeah, punishment, yeah. I would say. The most kind of one-to-one. So it had to do with, like, a breaking off an, of an engagement. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it? Yeah, there was the breaking off of engagement, a murder, and then that sprang, from that sprang the bloody feud between the Gulfs and the Ghibellines of Florence. Oh my goodness gracious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. She didn't really? want to get married, guys. So, yeah. Juan de Monte del Juan de Monte. <laughs> Juan de Monte de Juan de Monte had insulted the honor of the Amidi by breaking off his engagement to a daughter of that line in favor of a girl of the Donati. When the Amidi met to discuss what should be done. Mosca spoke for the death of Wendamonte. The Amidi acted upon his advice from that murder spring, the bloody feud between the Gulfs and the Jubilees. So it's like the Sopranos or something. It's very, <laughs> like, you know, prosaic, like, honor-based. Honor, like, honor, honor based on women as property situation <laughs> you get throughout history. So on the subject of sewing discord, we do have a discord channel mm-hmm. where we could engage in conversation with our listener. And that would be really fantastic. <laughs> with our listener. Yeah. See, it's not about sewing discord. It's about no, bringing, bringing people together. Yeah. Ask questions. Mm-hmm. We will answer. Mm-hmm. Offer mm-hmm. free, offer custom, uh, green crayon drawings in Jacob's <laughs> Coffee of the Inferno. That's well worth it. Uh, and soon, I think we're wrapping up our journey next time. We are. I'm a little sad. I'll have the, I'll have the results of our once once we um once we do our final check in. I'll have the results of our wellness um our wellness journey as we've been walking through Hal with Dante and Virgil. While I was while I was struggling with Dante and trying to make dinner tonight, I had a flash of insight as to why the entire journey of the Inferno leads to and through Satan's butthole. Okay. But I'm not going to tell you right now. Because that's Kanto 33. Dang. I also just realized I should not be calling this a wellness survey, but a hellness survey. Too late now. Oh. This is my punishment. To, To think of great... Great puns. Your punishment. And never be able to use them. <laughs> well, well, listeners, we do hope you join us in Discord and share us with your friends. This has been a very fun journey, one that's wrapping up soon. So I guess we'll see you next Tuesday. Yes. Yes. Out of hell. Bye-bye. Woohoo! This podcast is copyright 2021 by The Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources.